Another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 12th day of October, 2007. Today, the Corbett Report will turn the focus of its open source investigation back onto the events of 9 11, the foundational myth of our times. In previous episodes of the Corporate Report, we've dealt into some of the whys, as in, why would the government attack itself on 9-11 or on any other day? We've already outlined, for example, how these events are used to justify the tightening of security on the home front through the implementation of a police state. And most people intuitively understand how these events have been used to justify illegal wars of aggression in the Middle East both as a way to secure multi-billion dollar no-bid contracts for companies like Cheney's old company, Halliburton, and also as a way to gain control over the oil reserves in the Middle East. Not, as most anti-war protesters would have it, as a way of pumping the oil out of the region, but in fact as a way to descend the region into chaos, ensuring that the oil cannot be pumped out, creating artificial scarcity, which is masked by the myth of peak oil, which we'll be getting into in a future episode of the Corbett Report. But today, as I say, we'll be shifting our focus from the whys of 9-11 into the hows. The operational logistics of an event like 9-11 are mind-boggling, and most people, when confronted with the truth of 9-11 inside job, rightly wonder how such an extremely complicated operation could be pulled off without involving hundreds or thousands of willing participants from within the U.S. government, military, and various agencies. Well, as will be demonstrated today, the easiest way to do that is to have most of the people involved in the operation not even aware that they are actively contributing to the operation. And how do you do that? Drills. Today we're going to be trying something a little bit different. We're going to be featuring one extended audio clip from a speech given by Webster Tarpley. Webster Tarpley is one of the foremost researchers on government-sponsored terrorism, and his book 9-11 Synthetic Terror is highly recommended. A sample chapter from that book, entitled Angel is Next, is available online from his website, www.tarpley.net, and I highly recommend that you check out at least that chapter, as it is one of the most important documents that I have seen yet on what was really at stake on that Tuesday September 11th, 2001. It's Webster Tarpley's assertion that the events of 9-11 represent a military putsch, or coup d'etat, in which one part of the government attacks another part of the government to wrest power from the controlling power in the government. In the context of 9-11, the events of that day represent neither a terrorist act by an outside force, nor a carefully crafted plan by that evil genius George W. Bush, a burnt-out cokehead who can't even string a sentence together. In this case, the attack is planned and perpetrated by key moles working with inside the U.S. military and government. 
for the purpose, not in this case, to depose the puppet leader, George Bush, who makes a very convenient puppet for these puppeteers to handle in his administration, but rather to coerce the unwilling members of the U.S. government to go along with the clash of civilization and all the multi-billion dollar contracts that that entails. Today we're going to listen to an extended audio clip from a presentation that he made at the Vancouver 9-11 Truth Conference, which was held on June 22nd to June 24th, 2007, in Vancouver, Canada. This conference was organized by Vancouver 9-11 Truth, and if you haven't yet, I urge you to check out their website by following the link from my page, www.corbettreport.com. DVDs of the presentations made at the Vancouver 9-11 Truth Conference are available for purchase from their website, and I highly recommend that you do indeed purchase some of the DVDs, or all of them, as a video set, and help support the Vancouver 9-11 Truth movement. So, without further ado, let's get directly into the audio clip. This is Webster Tarpley explaining the operational logistics of 9-11 by way of the terror drills that were taking place on that day. Now, here we get to the heart of the matter. What do we have, 15, 20 minutes left? 20 minutes, okay, let's see how far we can get. Here are the 25-plus drills of 9-11. It's, a, it's a quite a number of code words. The last time around, last year, I had about 15-plus drills. Now I'm up to 25-plus drills, either on the morning of 9-11 or leading up to 9-11 or immediately after, sort of in the planning stage and impacting 9-11. It is the greatest density of drills of any day in the history of the United States. This should already tell us something. Here are some sources, William Arkin, Paul Thompson. Problem with Paul Thompson, he has all the information you want, but he believes in the official version, and he defends the official version. He, 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 he polemically, uh, he polemicizes with people who don't. I would also recommend the Vanity Fair article of last August, The Needs Tapes. The key concept is, if you want to have a terrorist action, you design a drill that is very close to what you want, and then you flip it live. You make the drill go live, and you're using all the assets of the drill, and with a small change, you make it go live. If the drill is to spread inert gas to see where the gas goes, you substitute the inert gas with a real poison gas, and you kill a whole lot of people. Operation Mongoose is an example. Supposedly it was the CIA plan to kill Castro. It was turned against Kennedy. This is how Kennedy was killed. I think most JFK people would agree. Abel Archer, 1983, was a nuclear war drill that was so realistic, the Soviets said they're about to go live. They went to red alert. So there was a drill that brought the world to a mutual red alert. The London Underground, Atlantic Blue of the British, top off three of the US, and triple play of Canada all calling for bombs in the London subway on the same day that an important international meeting is taking place in Great Britain, and that's the London July 7th bombs. Visor Associates, Peter Power says, we were simulating explosions in those stations at those times at the same day. Huh? What a coincidence. And that's on BBC Five. Scotland Yard knew in advance, they told Netanyahu, that's, that, that doesn't tell you much about Netanyahu, but it tells you that Scotland Yard knew in advance. In the case of uh, the assassination of President Reagan, attempted in 1981, 
there was a presidential succession drill, nine lives, scheduled to take place the next day. So the fake replacement of the president almost turned into the real replacement of the president. So is that principle clear? Do you accept that? In other words, if the drill is going on, and then it happens, it's not a coincidence. The event was created through the drill, bootlegged, conduited, smuggled in, executed, right? whatever you want to say, conducted. Now, before you want to do something like this, um, you have to lock down all the bases. Right? You know in the Dr. Strangelove, when uh, Colonel Jack Ripper wants to send his bombers, he's got to lock down the base and get everybody's radio. Right? Remember this? Or in uh, seven days in May, they have this place called the ComCon, which has tremendous security. You can't get in or out. Some days before, Forts Hamilton, Meade, Belvoir, Ritchie, Meyer, McNair, all around Washington, D.C., go into security clampdown starting August 15th, seven days in May. The movie about a military coup in the United States, it has many interesting features for our, uh, for our work. Remember the uh, JFK movie, when the head of military intelligence is sent to the South Pole on the day that Kennedy is going to be shot, so that he won't be there to be able to protect the president with an extra layer of military intelligence people. In this case, the FBI-CIA anti-terror task force is sent to Monterey, California, so that they are essentially, essentially out of the picture for several days. AWOL. They can't protect anybody from anything even if they wanted to. That's also the, you don't know whether they wanted to, but nobody's taking any chances. Now, the first complex is the air defense suppression drills. Multiple fake targets and limiting the number of aircraft available. There's a NORAD annual readiness drill at Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado, Boulder. Full battle staff. Now, what is this? Is this the overall umbrella operation? I don't think so. I think that's going to be in a private office, but this may be part of the effort. Vigilant Guardian, command post exercise, but not really. Don Deskins at uh, one of the uh, NORAD centers, NEEDS, in uh, upstate New York. She's following a simulated hijacked plane headed for JFK Airport in New York City. Is it a real plane, civilian, military? Is it a fake blip? It must be part of the exercise, she says. At first, everybody did. Then we have, in addition to that one, that's Vigilant Guardian. Vigilant Warrior is identified by General Myers in Richard Clark's book. Not a pretty picture. We're in the middle of Vig Vigilant Warrior, a NORAD exercise. NORAD. You want to get NORAD out of your country. But uh, this is a little bit mysterious beyond that. We've also got Operation Northern Guardian, which is not a drill, but real defense against Russian bombers coming over the pole. For this, from Langley Air Force Base near Washington, D.C., six planes are sent to Keflavik, Iceland. Northern Vigilance. Other fighter planes go to Alaska, northern Canada, again because of that Russian bomber drill that we've been mentioning. And fake blips are injected onto radar screens. Northern Guardian. Is this... You know the way they do it, they have binary pairs. One drill is the attack, one drill is the, is the defense. So is this paired, attack-defense? At any rate, as a result of this, at the height of the crisis, you have not four aircraft that are reported hijacked, but 29. You cannot approach 9-11 as normal civilian aviation. It is not. 
You cannot go from any idea of normalcy, Department of Transportation, databases. This is all nonsense. It's a forest of military drills. It's a chaos of military drills which has been deliberately created. Then we have Operation Northern Watch. This is real fighting and killing. This is to send more planes to the no-fly zone over northern Iraq. Remember this, unilateral, U.S., British, no U.N. resolution, no-fly zone. That's the northern one. There's also a group from New York State, very close, sent to Saudi Arabia for the southern Iraq no-fly zone. So all of these assets have been used for combat against Iraq when they could have been available in theory. So this is the Katrina argument, right? That in Katrina you find that all the assets are in Iraq when you need them at home, and they're not there. There's also a, no a local drill at Andrews Air Force Base uh, near Washington. The planes are sent to North Carolina. This is the Northeast Air Defense Sector. We have Colonel Marr is told, this is not an exercise, it's 8.30 a.m. This is Larry Arnold. He's, the, he's one of the commanders of NORAD, also defending your airspace. Don't you, feel, don't you feel secure? This is the headquarters of NORAD under this huge mountain in this bomb, you know, hydrogen bomb-proof bunker, yet another bunker. We have a problem here. We have a hijacked aircraft. Is this real world or exercise? No. This is not an exercise, not a test. They're always talking about the fact that there are exercises. And you hear this again and again. Is it real world or exercise? What was that? Is that real world? Real world hijack. Cool. <laughs> now this is, the, I, this is one of the really interesting ones. Somebody started the exercise early. The hijack's not supposed to be for another hour. This, in my view, shows hijacks were planned. They went live. Somebody flipped the hijacks live. And to the extent that any patsies were in the planes, the patsies thought they were there as actors and talking and acting and doing these things, making these tapes, is part of the acting. Because a lot of them thought, it looks like from what you can see from these bank uh, ATM photographs, they thought they were going to go home to bed that night or go home to the cocaine den or the discotheque or the brothel or wherever they live and have the usual relaxation, but then they're all dead. I've never seen so much real-world stuff happen during an exercise. See, these are the little people at the lower levels. These are the majors and the sergeants who are sincerely bewildered because they don't know what's happening because the exercise has gone live. The exercise has been flipped live. Now, how about this one? This is now the fake blips. And their confusion, Jesus, I think this is a damn input, to be honest, meaning a fake blip which has been artificially inserted onto his radar screen. Right? Imagine this guy saying, I think that's a fake blip. Now this raises the question, who's putting the fake blips on his radar screen and where are they? If you have that, then you're closer to the heart of the coup. Grim humor is attempted. I think we put the exercise on hold. What do you think? Ha ha. Let's call off the exercise. Because the exercise has now turned into a Frankenstein monster. It has gone live. And these poor little guys don't know what's going on. Except that there is among them somebody who seems to be a witting mole. And this is the infamous Colonel Marr. There's the face of the coup, I would say. A stand-down order? Well, if you have Colonel Marr, you don't need a stand-down order. Colonel Marr is a stand. He's a walking, talking, stand-down uh, 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 order. 
He's asked by one of these people, send some fighter planes to, uh, to New York City. No. The problem is that I would have all my fighters in the air at the same time, which means they would all run out of gas at the same time, so I couldn't do that, said Colonel Marr, the, let's say, suspect mole. Now, any, uh, well, he's got four fighters, according to most estimates, to defend one quarter of the continental United States because of the drills, and he's got 29 planes. There were two fighters that he did launch, and you know where he sent those? To the Atlantic Ocean, to a place called Whiskey 386, which is an Atlantic Ocean uh, testing ground. So you can't launch your fighters because they would all run out of gas at the same time. I wonder, I'm reading the Battle of Midway and these other things. This doesn't seem to be a, a big factor, but maybe things have changed. Now, if you were a loyal officer, you know what you would do? If you had four planes or three planes or two planes or one, where would you send them? Washington, D.C., the White House, the Congress, the Pentagon, the CIA, the whole thing. You have to defend Washington, D.C., not, not for my sake, but for Washington, D.C., even New York, you'd have, to, you'd have to triage New York and say, I'm going to defend Washington, D.C. The fact that he doesn't do that is prima facie case that he's a mole. That's the strategic decapitation question. All of these people grew up in the Cold War. The big danger was the Soviets would blow up Washington with a lightning attack, and that was their main nightmare. So here's another interesting thing. The confusion they have, where's American 11? Where's American 11? Answer, there are two American 11s. This is in my book. There, it's documented that there are two different planes taking off from two different gates. One of them is part of the exercise or something like that. And that's why they can't figure out American 11. And we have drills for the bases. September 5th, all the Army bases in Washington go on full access control with screening. Fort Myer, Virginia, special course for the firemen. The firemen who go to the Pentagon get a special course. What are they told? Is that if anything hits the Pentagon, don't use foam, use water. If it's, if it's an airplane, you use foam because it's kerosene. But if it's uh, explosive, a bomb, then you're going to use water. And they use water right away. So maybe they learned that here. We have a special mass casualty drill of an airplane hitting the Pentagon on the 29th of June. Poor Mrs. Rice said, nobody ever imagined. Well, obviously somebody imagined. And the general, Lance Lord of the Space Command, says, this is purely a coincidence, right? Purely a coincidence, as we had, we had before. Giuliani, in his book, Leadership, talks about Tripod 2. But Tripod 2 is a New York City biological warfare exercise that continues REDEX, Recognition, Evaluation, and Decision-Making Exercise. What's the scenario there? Plane crashes and building collapses. Now, one of the tasks of the movement is to see how such a drill of building collapses meshes and provides cover, facilitates the controlled demolition of the buildings, because I think this is the best hunch that we have so far. There's even a special drill at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, for first responders. Uh, the real bomb turns out to be a drill, but the next time around, it turns out to be 9-11. There's even a drill for Shanksville, Pennsylvania. This is Mall Strike 2001. Of course, we have to assume that there are lots of drills going on in many places, so this is not necessarily conclusive, but in the pattern, it begins to make sense. Now, 
the drills used to create the main events. Amalgam Virgo, a scenario using a third world uninhabited aerial vehicle or cruise missile launched from a rogue freighter or barge in the Atlantic or the Gulf of Mexico. So a drone. Now, uh, this, this is, in my opinion, the, uh, the Pentagon. Look what they have. This is the cover of the brochure for Amalgam Virgo, put out several months in advance with the face of bin Laden on the cover and various kinds of... Uh, These would be your, your drones over here, and then your good guy, U.S. fighter, let's suppose over here. And you should look at this. You can read the whole brochure on the Internet, and you should. The other one, the one that's being prepared, the one for 2002, 2002 means October, if, if, if uh, the fiscal year changes, a 757 with Delta pilots, actors posing as passengers to fly from Salt Lake City to Honolulu, it would to be hijacked by FBI agents posing as terrorists. Now that means actors, that means patsies, double agents brought in. Everybody participates. Look at this. It goes from Alaska across Canada, goes right over your head, and then crashes into the, uh, the capital in Washington, D.C. There's a cruise missile. My thesis, Amalgam Virgo, is the way the Pentagon was hit. It's a cruise missile or something like that launched from the Great Lakes, Lake Ontario, Lake Erie, something like this. From a land, sea, surface of the water, air, or submerged. It can come out of a submarine. Wonderful way to launch a missile. Positive Force, 2001, a NORAD drill with a terrorist group hijacking a commercial airliner and flying it into the Pentagon. A drill scenario from this exercise of 2001. Allegedly called off. Allegedly called off. A Pentagon, we have all kinds of Pentagon crash drills. I won't go into this. You can get a copy of this slideshow from the organizers for a small contribution. I'd urge you to do it. Seymour Hersh is told by the FBI that they simulate terror attacks some of them quite similar to the 9-11 attacks. How wonderful that they're always on guard. NORAD repeatedly has exercises crashing planes into buildings from 91 to 2001, from 99 to 2001. The World Trade Center, all kinds of aircraft, simulated hijacks coming from outside the U.S. Clark, Richard Clark has his own personal exercise of crashing a Learjet with explosives into the White House. Theoretical. Command post, Richard Clark. One of the centerpieces, the National Reconnaissance Office, which controls satellites, a huge bureaucracy, tremendous amount of money, simulated on the morning of crashing planes into buildings, its own buildings. So when you have a government agency that's simulating crashing planes into buildings, and then planes crash into buildings, you're forced to link these the prima facie assumption from a political point of view is that the event was created through the drill. Global Hawk. Um, one of the problems they say, well, we didn't have any radar. You don't need radar. If you have satellite imagery, you can follow the planes from above. You can do that. And uh, this indicates the presence of Global Hawk. In other words, one of the problems we didn't look at was how could those psychotic patsies fly the planes? Well, they couldn't. But what could be done is Global Hawk is a form of remote control that can guide the planes into the buildings under the guidance of the National Reconnaissance Office and their satellite imagery, quite apart from any 
radar. So the NRO drill is crashing planes into the World Trade Center. Red X, as we've seen, plane crashes, building collapses. With Giuliani, Carrick, Van Essen, it seems to me that this is where we have to look now for the controlled demolition. Who runs the patsies? We can't go through this in much detail, but here's Congressman Weldon, who was destroyed politically by the FBI for his pains. He said, Able Danger had been tracking the terrorists. Well, I would say, if Able Danger was really tasked to manipulate the terrorists, as you see here, as soon as you start manipulating terrorists, do you know what you are? You're a terrorist controller, because that is what terrorist controllers do. They guide agents by manipulating them, among other things. These people had a complete gallery of the patsies with little post-it notes saying, don't tell the FBI about this one. This is the task of moles. Able Danger, Able Warrior. Able, Able Warrior is the biggest anti-terror drill of the year. If you're going to have an anti, if you're going to have a terrorism, anti-terrorism defense drill, then you need somebody to play the attack. Who could be the attack? Well, Able Danger can provide you a bunch of patsies from central casting who are double agents who look like terrorists. Somebody like this. Remember Rudolf Valentino in The Sheik? with his hypnotic gaze. He's obviously been looking at the Rudolph Valentino movies. This is the kind of Arab that really scares people here in North America. The records of this thing were destroyed. 6.5 terabytes of, of Able Danger records were destroyed, equivalent to one quarter of the Library of Congress. It's a complex. Able Danger includes Stratus Ivy, Door Hop Galley. If anybody can find out anything about Door Hop Galley, I appeal to you, tell me, because I think that's where the terrorists actually were directed. And then we have people like, uh, I, th I think Peter Dale Scott is here. This is one of his uh, favorite subjects. Sergeant Ali Mohammed, U.S. double agent, who became bin Laden's personal assistant. He is a sergeant of the U.S. Army Special Forces of Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and he is the personal assistant of bin Laden, helping him to make his moves and organizing his activities. We have a chemical weapons jet shot down over the North Atlantic, and the most, one of the most insidious, the cell phone calls. If you remember the weeks, days and weeks after 9-11, one of the ways that these events were sold to the average person was by the pathos of the individual cell phone calls of the doomed passengers calling their wives and husbands or calling somebody, it often turned out to be. This was drilled too. This was drilled at the U.S. Department of Transportation on August 31st, the scenario, a hijacked plane and a cell phone call. Now, the mushroom cloud. The most uh, sinister is that on the morning of 9-11, B-1s, B-52s loaded with hydrogen bombs, land-based missiles, submarine missiles, all ready to fire. Scowcroft is flying to Offutt in a nuclear war command plane. Warren Buffett is already there. And this is called Global Guardian. It's an Armageddon exercise. And uh, it's a full Cuban Missile Crisis Cold War confrontation posture. And General Ivashov, who was running the show in Moscow that day, confirms before any planes were hijacked, we saw an unprecedented unfolding of the U.S. thermonuclear forces on that morning, involving Offutt, Barksdale, Minot, and Whiteman. And Bush visits two of these 
on that same day. Included in this, you say, well, how could that coup faction really launch nuclear war if they wanted to? They could use this feature built into the Global Guardian. They build in a rogue element, a bad insider who's trying to get access to a key command and control system, meaning the ability to launch nuclear missiles. Now, suppose this had flipped live. In other words, the fake rogue insider who's pretending to launch nuclear missiles turns into a real rogue insider who actually launches nuclear missiles and blows up Tehran, Kabul, Cairo, whatever it is. Three, not one, but three nuclear warfare command centers are in the air, and Brent Scowcroft is on board one of them. He is better situated to take over the country than either Bush or Cheney, if needed. If you remember the Moscow coup of August 1991, right, the coup d'etat of the nine, the Gekapeche, or whatever that was called, Yanayev, Pugo, Yazov, etc., you can see that this now is happening in the United States. They've even thought of, if you attack the Soviets, if you attack the Russians, they may retaliate. They've got Amalgam Warrior, is the defensive side of the U.S. Air Force, is also ready to go. We've got, an, we've got Crown Vigilance going on, and we've got Apollo Guardian. We've got this going on in space. So these are all going on on the same day. And the ultimatum is, we're taking Afghanistan. We're taking bases in Central Asia. Finally, Larry Arnold of uh, NORAD, on his own initiative, said, let's get some AWACS planes. We'll put one near Washington, one near Florida, and see what happens. Washington, where the government is, Florida, where the president is. These planes, these can also be nuclear command centers. Unified Vision 2001 is also going on. What is that? It is the war with Afghanistan being drilled before it starts. They thought of everything. It's a joint experimentation directorate of all these agencies going on May 2001. And it is a transnational actor based in a landlocked country with hostile terrain. And one of them later says, even Nostradamus could not have nailed the first battle of the next war any closer than we did. This time we got it right. Yes, of course you got it right because your drill became reality. Your drill, in this case, went live in the form of the Afghan war. They've even thought of how to kill off some of the people who designed all this. There's a special meeting called at the Fiduciary Trust Company, 97th floor, South Tower, 8 a.m., for a bunch of computer consultants who are then dead. Remember when the pharaoh is buried, the priests who buried the pharaoh are killed by soldiers. Those soldiers are killed by other soldiers and so on down the line, because they don't want the secrets to get out. This is a way to liquidate some of the people who took part. And I think at that point, I can conclude. And I think the, um, the notion, again, is it is not a day of normal commercial aviation. It is a day of 25-plus drills. And nobody that I've ever heard of, even the slanderers, has ever answered the argument about the drills. There's nothing but silence. What's with the 25 drills? What's with drills that have collapse of buildings, crashing planes into skyscrapers? What's with the drills that take planes away, that create fake blips, that, that simulate hijacking, that drill the, tel the cell phone calls, the war with uh, Afghanistan, 
and so on down the line. There simply is no answer to that because it is so overwhelming. And you can fight against each one of the 25 plus, but what you can't deny is the pattern. The pattern has objective validity that cannot be refuted. And I regard this as the strongest political evidence. And in the middle of all this, Angel is next. That Bush on 9-11 is not the genius Zvengali of the Third World War. He is an expendable asset fighting for his life. And he's lucky he got through the day because it would have been very easy to liquidate him during the course of the day and have some different uh, denouement of this. So I thank you for your attention. For those of you paying attention at the beginning of that presentation, you might have heard Webster Tarpley mention Top Off 3 in connection to the drills that were going on during the July 7th, 2005 London bombing on the underground and on a London bus. Well, it looks like Top Off is once again in the news, this time from a Yahoo News report from last week entitled Questions Raised Over Terror Exercise. And this article reads in part, quote, the nation is preparing for its biggest terrorism exercise ever next week when three fictional dirty bombs go off and cripple transportation arteries in two major U.S. cities and Guam, according to a document obtained by the Associated Press. Yet even as the drill begins, details from the previous national exercise held in 2005 have yet to be publicly released, information that's supposed to help officials prepare for the next real attack. House lawmakers were expected to demand answers Wednesday, including why the after-action report from 2005 hasn't been made public. Congress has required the exercise since 2000, but has done little in the way of oversight beyond attending the actual events. Next week will be the fourth top officials exercised, dubbed Top Off. The program costs $25 million a year and involves the federal government's highest officials, such as top people from the Defense and Homeland Security Departments. End quote. Hopefully, given that presentation that you've just heard, that information from that article will send shivers down your spine. And I suggest that you take a look at that article by going to the documentation on my website, www.corbettreport.com. And that's it for this 20th episode of The Corbett Report. I'd like to thank each and every one of my listeners for supporting The Corbett Report thus far. We've learned a lot together over the preceding few months, and we'll continue to do so in the future. But for the next few weeks, I will be taking a much-needed vacation. During this time, the website and the podcast will be updated infrequently, if at all. But I ask you to bear with me, and within a few weeks I'll be back producing podcasts and writing articles for the website once again. Refreshed, recharged, and ready to take on new issues. Until then, enjoy yourselves and see you again in a few weeks.